We're back in another Sound of Battle Cry, and we're going to continue today the pre-trib rapture refuted series. And the topic of today is the day of Christ versus the day of the Lord. Uh, this is an important topic because, uh, especially of Second Thessalonians chapter two, this this um, this phrase, the day of Christ, appears. And uh, it's caused a lot of debate and controversy about it. So, you know, I think the best thing for us to do is to look at this passage, and then we're going to look up all the verses that contain the phrase, the day of Christ, and then all the verses that contain the phrase, the day of the Lord, or at least a lot of them. And we're going to see what each phrase means, if it means the same thing, if it means something different, and if it means something different, what does it mean? Because it has real uh, consequence and impact on this passage in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Um, you know, so we'll read the passage and then we'll talk a little bit more about what this debate is about. So you know, we have a starting starting point here. Okay, so the main reason this comes up is because Day of Christ, the phrase the Day of Christ is used in Second Thessalonians chapter two. So let's read that. We're going to read verses one through three. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. All right, so that's the passage we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, we'll go back through and I'll break down some more um, things in that verse. But right now, let's just get right into these phrases, okay? So the first one we're going to look at is the day of Christ. What does this phrase mean so then we can properly interpret this verse? So, you know, we always want to compare scripture with scripture. And how does the rest of the Bible define that phrase so we can understand what it means in this passage? So where else is this phrase, the day of Christ, used? Let's look at the first one, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in pr every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel and from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay. So we got day of Christ or day of Jesus Christ. You look at the other passages and it just says the day of Christ. But right here it says that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what's this talking about? Well, a good work in you, what would that be? That would be the process of sanctification, right? Um, sanctification is can be used, uh, the word in the Bible sanctified or sanctification can be used to mean three things, okay? Um, first of all, when you are saved, when you're born again, you are positionally sanctified forever, eternally, okay? And you can find that in the book of Hebrews. It says, for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, okay? That's positional sanctification. It means as soon as you're born again, you're sanctified forever, you're set up, sanctified is set apart for God's use. Okay. It's very similar to, to holy, holiness. All right. Then the second aspect of sanctification is the process throughout your um, Christian walk, throughout your life, by which God 
makes you more holy. He sets you apart more and more for his use. So you grow in holiness. You grow in the knowledge of God in sanctification. And and that's how the process of the Christian life is supposed to go. You go from a babe in Christ to more, more mature. You can teach others. You're, you're, you're striving to live a life that is pleasing to God out of love for him. That's what sanctification is all about. God shows you something that's wrong. You repent of it. You, you, you change. You move on. You try to grow. That's all sanctification. And that's a process. Excuse me, frog in my throat. But then uh, the, the third aspect of sanctification is when sanctification is completed. And sanctification is completed at the timing, at the moment of the rapture. When you are given a new glorified body and that moment is called glorification, but it is also the culmination of sanctification. Okay. And that's where sanctification ends because from that moment on, you have a sinless body. All right. Now, why is that important here? Because it says he which hath begun a good work in you is talking about this process of sanctification. And it says he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Why is that significant? Because it means that the sanctification process will end at the day of Christ. Okay. So when is that? That's when the rapture happens. That's when the resurrection happens. The rapture slash slash resurrection when we receive new bodies. That's the end of when he's working that good work in you. Okay, so let's move on and see if other verses say the same thing. See if it's consistent. Philippians, this is from the same chapter. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Okay, so he says that you may approve of things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So it's, it, you know, it's talking about the sanctification. It's talking about holiness and, and your behavior, that it would be sincere without offense. You're not... Uh, offending God by your sinful lifestyle until the day of Christ. Why? Because that's the end. That's when it stops. That's when you have no more chance in this life to do whatever you're going to do. Let's move on here. Philippians again, Philippians chapter two, verses 14 through 16. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom he shines as, as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Again, he's talking about the day of Christ as if it's the end of the race, right? I have not run in vain, right? He talks about the Christian life as running a race, and, you know, and uh, not looking behind, you know, leaving those things which are behind and reaching to those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He's talking about running that Christ, that race in the Christian life. And he talks about as work, labored in vain, right? So he says, in that day, in the day of Christ, I want to rejoice, not think that I ran in vain or that I labored in vain, but that it was a good run. And it was it was uh, the day that I could rejoice, and uh, so that day is the end of your Christian walk. It's it's the completion of it. Okay, 
Let's move on to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you, word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. As also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Talking about the same time. The same time, the day of Christ, the day of uh, Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord Jesus. It's the day when sanctification is complete. And he says, he keeps saying, Paul says, I want it to be a day of rejoicing and saying, ah, now you lived a life that was pleasing to God, a day, uh, a life of holiness, and we rejoice in that day. Okay, he says that's what he wants to happen in the day of the Lord Jesus. And let's uh, read one more. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that had so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of of the Lord Jesus. What is that again? That is the resurrection slash rapture. I'm sorry, the resurrection slash rapture slash day of glorification. It's the end of the line. The end of the, your chance to get saved. It's that's it. That's completed. And um, the spirit may be saved in that day. Okay, so that that if you that he saying I want you to be taking part of that resurrection slash rapture at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in that day. Okay? So it is clear that when we look at all these verses that the theme is our that our sanctification will end in the day of Christ. That is when we will receive our new sinless bodies. When will that be? The first resurrection when Jesus returns. Okay? So if you haven't watched it yet, go back and watch my video in this pre-trib series where I talk about the first resurrection, the resurrection, and how it's tied together with the rapture. Because we see that the um, the rapture is inextricably tied together with the resurrection. And we see that in the book of Revelation, it says that people who were beheaded in the tribulation period for refusing to worship the beast or the image of the beast took part in the resurrection, which was called the first resurrection. Okay? So there, which means there was no resurrection before those tribulation saints were killed. Okay? The very first resurrection happened after they were killed, which means there was no pre-tribulation resurrection slash rapture. Okay? And so because of that, the, when it talks about the day of the Lord Jesus, and it's, this is, it's keep saying the day of Christ, the day of Christ is the end of the sanctification period. It's when we receive our new bodies. That means it's the day of resurrection. It's the day of the rapture. Okay. So the day of Christ is the rapture. It is the, the resurrection time. Okay. Now that's going to come in handy and very important when we go back to check out the verse that we read at the beginning. But let's go on now so that we can see what the phrase the day of the Lord means 
as that is also pertinent to this study. All right. What about the day of the Lord? Because that phrase occurs quite a bit in the Bible. And there is a stark contrast to what these the phrase means. All right, so let's look at a bunch of mentions of the day of the Lord. I'm going to get through these, okay? First one, Acts chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. So, so far, doesn't sound very positive. Um, sun turning dark, moon into blood, blood fire, and that's also the day of the Lord. Let's look, look at another one. We looked at this one. We already looked at this one in another teaching we did, which if you go back and watch that video, which I did about how pre-tribbers say the day of um, the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And I showed how it says the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And then it says, but that day shall not overtake you, brethren, as a thief, because you're awake, you're sober, you're watching. Um, so it's not saying that the preacher rapture is just going to suddenly overtake you, take everyone. It means it's talking about the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And the day of the Lord is not the rapture. Okay, so let's, and let's look at that. So uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Okay? So the day of the Lord, which comes as a thief in the night, is not associated with the rapture, the resurrection. It's associated with destruction, sudden destruction, blood, fire, all these destructive things. Let's continue. For 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the preacher of rapture will happen. No, that's not what it says. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Okay, so now the day of the Lord is associated with the heavens passing away, the elements melting, everything being burned up. Nothing to do with the rapture. Again, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Okay, so now the day of the Lord is associated with judging people that are proud and lofty, the arrogant. They're going to be brought low. They're going to be humbled by God. Next one, Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 11. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Again, destruction is mentioned multiple times in association with the day of the Lord. It's not the rapture, guys. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed at one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, both cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. 
For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth and the moon shall not cause their light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. So again, we have with associated with the day of the Lord, um, humbling the arrogant and the haughty and lots of judgment, destruction. Uh, it's a day of the Lord's wrath and anger and um, a lot of judgment going on. And it's a day that God will punish the world for their evil is the day of the Lord. Once again, not the rapture. Uh, Joel, go to the book of Joel, and we're going to read verses 10 and 11, and then 30 and 31. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice from his army, I'm sorry, before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? And I will show wonders in heaven, in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Okay. And, uh, you know, we'll talk uh, in another teaching about the sun turning uh, to darkness and the moon into blood. Um, but you can see this, that is spoken about over and over again in the Old Testament. And then it's talked about in the book of Revelation. And it keeps saying that that will happen before the day of the Lord come. And the day of the Lord is, um, you know, the day that, that it's the it's the time that happens right after the resurrection slash rapture. And um, it's saying that the, the, the sun turning to darkness and the moon to the blood happens before that day of the Lord come. So, you know, and, and that is talked about in the... Uh, in the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. That happens before all this happens. So, you know, that's just a little side note. But anyways, it's associated with judgment. Again, next one, Amos chapter five, verses 18 through 20. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? even very dark and no brightness in it. Okay, so now it says the day of the Lord is associated with darkness and it's something that you do not want to desire. Another one, this is one of uh, the most vivid descriptions of the day of the Lord and it's in Zephaniah. Uh, if you ever want to show someone God's judgment that is coming in the future, you show them Zephaniah chapter one, verses 14 through 18. The great day of the Lord is near it is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. My friends, that is the Lord's judgment. It's his wrath that he's talking about, his judgment 
There is nothing about God's, uh, about the rapture. It doesn't matter if you're pre, mid, or post. The day of the Lord has nothing to do with the rapture slash resurrection. No matter how you spin it, it's only about God's judgment, destruction, darkness, fire, blood, all that type of stuff is all associated with the day of the Lord. And it's clear as day if you're being honest with yourself and if you're reading the same Bible as I am. All right, so let's make a comparison now. Notice the difference. The day of Christ is the return of Jesus slash rapture slash resurrection of the saved. That's what the day of Christ is. That's the rapture slash resurrection slash, I can't even say slash, slash. All right, there we go. Sorry. The day of the Lord is the judgment of God being poured out on the wicked. Okay, see the difference? The rapture, the day of Christ is the rapture, the day of the Lord, judgment of God. Two different events, two different things. They're not the same. How? Now, let's bring it back to the beginning. How does this affect 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Let's read it again. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by his letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. All right, let's break this down. This means that when verse 3 says, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, that day refers to the day of Christ, right? Because in verse 2 it says, as that the day of Christ is at hand, and he says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. So when it says the day of Christ, and then it says that day, that day is talking about the day of Christ. Very simple. If you can read verse two, you read verse three, that's what it's talking about. Okay. So in verse three, he's saying the day of Christ shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the sign of perdition, who is the Antichrist, the beast. Okay? If the day of Christ is the rapture slash return of Jesus, this means there must be a falling away, an apostasy, and the man of sin slash Antichrist must be revealed before Jesus returns slash the rapture. Okay? Now, don't skip ahead. Don't read down there. So, The day of Christ is the rapture, and it says that the rapture will not happen until there's an apostasy and the man of sin is revealed. That's what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I've heard people try to twist it. There's no other way to twist it. There's no other way to interpret it. That is exactly what it says. If you're honest with with yourself, if you're honest before God, if you're honest with reading the scriptures, that's the interpretation you're going to come away with. And if you never heard any, you never read any dispensational commentary, you never heard Ruckman speak, you never heard your pastor talk about the preacher of rapture, you would never come up with a preacher of rapture comes out of this verse. Never. In a million years would you ever come up with that. And you only got that because you wanted it there. You heard someone else say it. You want to push it in there. There's no way you can get it out of here. None. Okay. You are using eisegesis to put that in there, not exegesis. For more on that, go watch my video called how to properly read, uh, study and interpret the Bible. 
Okay. Now getting back to this. So when it says there has to come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, let's talk about a few other things in here. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about that. Verse three, um, the antichrist, the man of sin cannot be accepted by the world, except there comes the falling away first. Why is that? Because the falling away is a, a, uh, an apost- a time of apostasy where the majority of Christian churches across the world are giving up on sound doctrine. And we see that today. We see that more and more churches are being like, you know, modern emerging churches. It's way more about entertainment and emotions. They say it's all about love, even though it's not real love. It's a false love that they have where they just want to give you a hug and have some coffee, but we're not really going to talk about Bible doctrine. We're just going to give you little sermonettes, little bit of inspirational things, and get you all hyped up and make you feel good, and then go home. And of course, they'll take your money too. And because, uh, I mean, you got to have the money if you want to have a big church, right? You need a million dollar property, you got to give some money. So, um, so, you know, and we see other prophecies about this in the Bible. We see the Bible says um, the time will come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine, but will keep to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. In the latter time, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Okay, so oh, there's multiple prophecies that say in the end times, People are going to depart from good doctrine. They're going to depart from the faith. They're going to listen to seducing spirits, false teachers, all these other things. And they're going to heap to themselves these false teachers. They want them. Don't don't look at everyone as a victim who's sitting under false teachers. They want to be lied to me. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. That's what they're singing, right? That's their favorite song. Tell me lies. Lie to me. It feels good. Right? What they say in the Old Testament. Um, preach unto us smooth things. What what that one king say to uh who was it Ahaziah or uh oh man I forget what the prophet's name or is it Micaiah? Anyways, he said, I don't want to hear from. Don't I I hate that prophet. There is one man of God, but I hate him because he never prophesies to me anything good, but always evil. He does. He said, I hate that prophet. Because he never tells me anything good that makes me feel good. He always tells me the truth and it makes me feel bad. And that's where we are today. People don't want to be told the truth because it hurts their feelings. That doesn't make me feel good. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't know the purpose of life was to feel good all the time. Because that's selfish. The chief goal of life is not the happiness of man. It's the glory of God. But you wouldn't think that if you were, uh, um, you know, a selfish person. <sighs> if you weren't, uh, sorry, if you weren't a selfish person, if you're a selfish, per- self-centered person, you think the goal of life is just for you to be happy. I hear, I see lost people say it all the time. I hear them say it so much. People that I work with, people, other other things, uh, whatever, who it is, whoever it is, and they're all, and someone says some decision that they made, made, and there is someone, they're always like, 
whatever makes you happy, that's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters is what makes you happy. You know, what if it, what if it makes you happy to steal from other people? Well, that's not good. But the point is the goal of life is not just to make yourself happy. It's to do what is right, what is pleasing to God, to glorify him. Because when you die and you stand before God, you, 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 what are you going to say to God? Well, you know, God, I did everything I could in life to make myself happy. And God's going to be like, well, that's not what I told you to do. And that's worth nothing. And that's why everything you've ever done will be burned up and you have a handful of ashes. But most likely, if you, if you lived your life just for yourself, you're going to hell. Selfish people go to hell because the Christianity is the opposite of selfishness. It's sacrifice. Following the ultimate example of sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed everything to die for our sins. Took our sins and the punishment for our sins. And you know, we can never reach that level of sacrifice, but we can try to follow in his footsteps and do the best that we can to show an example of sacrifice, sacrificial love towards God and towards neighbor. All right, now I'm way off in a rant, but it's still related to this apostasy, okay? Because the Antichrist cannot be revealed until this apostasy happens because there'd be too much truth being preached. But less and less truth is being treat, preached and less and less truth will be preached until the man of sin is revealed and saying, okay, he can come out now because no one understands the Bible anymore except a small remnant of Christians. Here he goes. And they accept him and they worship him as God because they don't know the Bible. And Antichrist doesn't just mean against Christ. It means in place of Christ, counterfeit Christ. So they'll think, oh, this guy's great. This guy's solving all our problems. Because most likely he'll ride in on a wave of chaos, economic collapse, World War III, pandemics, you know, all that positive good stuff. So that's how it's going to go down. And guess what? There's no rapture before that. None. It's not in the Bible. Bible says... That day is not going to come until after the apostasy, after the Antichrist comes. It's exactly what it says. And you can't interpret this passage any other way. Now, a couple more comments about that really quick. In verse one, what does it say? Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that significant? Because it doesn't say the comings. It doesn't say the two-part coming the secret preacher of rapture coming, and then the real second coming of Jesus. Nope, it just says the coming because it's only one. It's only one coming. He comes back, rapture slash resurrection, we're up with him in the air, marriage supper of the lamb, and we come out, and then, then what? We're riding on the white horses with him, and he's judging the Antichrist. That's it. There's only one coming of the Lord. There's not two. Okay, so there's the coming, and that's said multiple times in Scripture. But then another thing is, there uh, some pre-tribbers try to say that the day of Christ, they say, I know that the day of Christ means the, you know, the rapture and all the other passages, but in this pa- passage, it can't possibly mean the rapture because then it would... You know, go against my position. (laughs) They don't say it like that, but that's pretty much what they're saying. Okay? 
yeah, it means the same thing in all the other passages, but then all of a sudden you say it doesn't mean that here. Uh, come in, give me a break. That's ridiculous. You know, it should al- we should always, you know, define a phrase or a word depending on the context, but the context here doesn't show that it means anything else. And then you might say, oh, well, it does show that it might mean something else because it says that they were, they sh- he was saying, you don't be shaken in mind or troubled. And then you would say, how, why would they be shaken in mind or troubled at the rapture? That's supposed to be comforted, comforting, right? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, right? Why would they be troubled? A couple things there, okay? Let's talk about that. First of all, if you study this out, and uh, I've read a bunch of the commentators on this, see what they said. Now, listen, if they say something wrong, wrong about Bible prophecy, and trust me, they do, I disagree with it. But a lot of them said very similar things, and I believe that they're right. First of all, he says, don't be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor as by letter as from us. So there was a lot of talk in that time about counterfeit letters were written. Now we know for a fact, counterfeit gospels were written. We have the Gnostic gospels, gospels like uh, gospel of Thomas and, 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 um, the epistle, the epistle of Barnabas and all these other things. We know that there were counterfeits being written. Now, there could have been a counterfeit epistle saying, hey, this is from the apostles. You know, this is written to the Thessalonians, all these other types of things. And it could have been telling them false things about the day of Christ. But he's saying, doesn't matter whether it's by spirit or word, a false prophecy is someone that says they're us. He's like, don't be shaken. We're telling you what the truth is right now. And, but you would say, why would they be shaken in minor trouble? Well, let's, let's talk about this. Okay. They were thinking that this was going to happen like right now, maybe in a, in, a, in a month, maybe that year, Jesus is coming back. Okay. Because they, remember, they don't know of any preacher rapture because it's not taught anywhere in the Bible. You don't see anyone talking about it. You don't see the apostles warning them, telling them, yeah, you're going to have a preacher rapture, escape the tribulation. And then, and then the second coming of Christ, that's a little bit more harsh, but you don't have to worry about the, the rapture. That's more comforting. They never, it was never taught like that in the Bible. The second coming and the rapture, same time, same event. So they're like, oh, the Lord's coming. He could be coming this year. Now, some holier-than-thou, self-righteous, super-pious Christians would say, well, what's so troubling about that? I'm excited. Uh, how, could you, how could you be shaken that, you, you know, the Lord would be coming? Well, first of all, yeah, it is comforting that Jesus would be coming back and that we get to be with him. But don't tell me that there's nothing that has you shaken in mind or troubled about that if I told you Jesus was coming back next week. You're telling me you have lived a perfect life and you're not worried about anything about being held accountable before God? Because you will, even if you're saved, you're going to stand before God, the judgment seat of Christ, to give an account of your life. You're going to tell me that you're not uh, at all concerned about that? And let me tell you another thing. John, the apostle who laid on Jesus's bosom, right? It says the apostle whom Jesus loved. You know what he did when he saw Jesus? He fell at his feet as dead. Okay. So if the apostle John, who we can't imagine how holy he was, fell at the feet of Jesus as dead because he was so filled with fear because of the holiness of Jesus Christ. If he did that, Yet you're over here saying, why could, why would they be shaken? It's the rapture. Why would they be troubled at the rapture? Oh, I don't know, because you're still going to 
you know, it's still the end of your life. You're still going to be in the presence of a holy God. You're still going to be accountable for what you did or didn't do in life. You still might think to yourself, oh man, I didn't realize it was something coming so quick. Uh, man, there's a, there's a bunch of things I still want to do before I die. There's still a bunch of things I want to do in my life. I want to do for God. You don't think that you'd have any of those concerns. No, you're perfect. You wouldn't be shaken at all. You wouldn't be troubled at all if you thought the rapture was going to happen next week. You'd be perfectly fine because you lived a perfect life. You are you are a liar. You're a liar. And you're self-righteous. You're pretending. You're pretending that everything's perfect and I, and I can't wait for Jesus to come because I, I am perfectly happy with how I live my life. You're not telling the truth, my friend. <laughs> of course they could be shaken. They say, if they thought, oh man, Jesus is coming right now. And he's like, no, 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 slow down. That day's not going to come till there comes a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed. Then it's going to happen. So he's saying, you got a little bit of time. These are the things to watch out for. Okay. That's what the Bible's teaching. So don't tell me that it can't be the rapture because every other mention of day of Christ, it's the rapture. The context of this is showing exactly what it means. And to put the preacher rapture in there, you have to do some major twisting and reinterpreting of the Bible to fit it in there. You just can't do it. Okay? And now to further add more weight to this, let's look at the last few things we got here. Finally, let's look at how John Darby changed this passage in his Bible translation that he made to suit his views of the preacher rapture. Now, just in case you don't know, you probably do. John Nelson Darby is the person who may not have originally been the first person to ever think of a preacher rapture, but he's certainly the most significant person in history to come, uh, put this, this um, system of dispensationalism, to systematize it, to popularize it, uh, John Darby and the the Plymouth Brethren, they were the most well-known people who had believed in this preacher of rapture, who believed in dispensationalism. And then after that, Schofield took the same dispensational teachings, put it in the Schofield Reference Bible, which was in mostly in King James Bibles. And that really popularized this teaching throughout um, independent fundamental Baptists. Okay. So John Darby, the most famous guy in history coming up at the preacher of rapture in the 1800s. What did, first of all, he made his own Bible translation. That's already, you're already, um, you're already wrong, man. Now you're way off. There is no making your own Bible translation. And, um, and he, what, he just made it himself and he thought he was qualified to do that. And of course he made changes to fit his viewpoint. And we're going to see it right now. So let's go back to that same passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. What does Darby say? Now we beg you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as if, as if it were by us, as that the day of the Lord is present. Let no man deceive you by any manner, because it will not be until the apostasy of first come and the man of sin have been revealed the son of perdition. Now wait a second here. John Darby changed the phrase, the day of Christ, which it says in the King James Bible, to the day of the Lord. Now, do you think that that might change the meaning of the passage? Oh, yeah, it does. 
and I showed you what the difference is between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. Now, if you change this verse to say the day of the Lord, it means something totally different. He's saying, hey, the day of the Lord won't come until there's apostasy and the, and, and the Antichrist is revealed. Well, so what? There's the Antichrist, the, the apostasy and the Antichrist, and then the day of the Lord comes after that. Well, so what? That's just the day of judgment. And you could even say, as the pre-tribbers believe, the second coming, who cares? That's not the rapture. So it doesn't, it no longer means that the apostasy and the Antichrist must be revealed before the rapture. It just means the apostasy and the man of sin must be revealed before the day of the Lord comes. Day of judgment and destruction. Much different meaning of this passage. And John Dar- Jar- uh, John Darby changed it to fit his theology. And do you think he was the only one? No, he wasn't. What about the modern versions? Let's look at the NIV. What does it say? Man of lawlessness. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brother and sisters, not to become easily unsettled and alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Well, now, NIV, NIV agrees with John Nelson Darby, the day of the Lord changing the meaning of the passage. Let's look at the next one. The favorite Bible version of the Calvinists, the new reformed guys, the ESV, the man of lawlessness. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or as a letter seeming from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord changed again to fit the pre-trib rapture teaching. And finally, we will look at the funniest Bible version. You can barely even call it that, the Message Bible. And the title, instead of the man of lawlessness, it says the anarchist. Now, friends, read these next words carefully. Slow down and don't go jumping to conclusions regarding the day when our master Jesus Christ will come back and we assemble to welcome him. Don't let anyone shake you up or get you excited over some breathless report or rumored letter from me that the day of the master's arrival has come and gone. Don't fall for any line like that. Before that day comes, a couple of things have to happen. First, the apostasy. Second, the debut of the anarchist, a real dog of Satan. Now, we're not even, you know, talking about them switching it to the day of the Lord or any of that stuff. We're just talking about how funny and ridiculous this is i mean it is insane it's so hilarious and they don't even use the the phrase the man of sin uh the son of perdition they don't use the phrase the antichrist they call him the anarchist and then they call him a real dog of satan what is this now you know it's funny from this having a a, a background in music that i that i used to you know i was into metal death metal hardcore and uh of course i knew some punk music and one of the most famous punk bands in history is the sex pistols apparently the message bible translators like the sex pistols because if you know their song anarchy in the uk but the sex pistols the here's the lyrics and dude this guy the singer 
of um, the Sex Pistols had the most annoying voice in the world. Right now. It was so bad. I am an antichrist. I am an anarchist. It's, it's, I mean, you couldn't even get more annoying than that. But he says, I'm an antichrist. I'm an anarchist. Don't know what I want, but I know how to get it. I want to destroy the passerby because I want to be anarchy, no dog's body. Now, isn't it funny that they call the antichrist the anarchist and the sex pistols say, I am an antichrist. I am an anarchist. And then he, he says, the message Bible says, a real dog of Satan. And this guy says, no dog's body. Um, very interesting. Message Bible. But anyways, day of Christ, day of the Lord. There it is. Okay. The day of Christ is the rapture. Day of the Lord is just day of judgment and destruction. And sorry, guys, but there's no rapture until after the falling away and the man of sin is revealed and we will be here to see if you're alive at that time you will be here to see the man of sin when he's revealed you will see the antichrist and you will have to refuse the mark of the beast refuse to bow down to the image of the beast just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made same thing and um, because you Love the Lord. You love Jesus Christ and you're willing to do anything for him, including suffer, even unto death. That's what Paul said, right? Look at everything that Paul the Apostle went through. He was stoned, beaten with rods, um, whipped, all these other things that happened to him. And finally he had his head chopped off. He's an example. You know, follow him. He's to follow me as I follow Christ. It's, uh, guys, it's only temporary. Okay? It's only temporary. We suffer temporarily now. Live for joy in eternity. Or we have everything we want now and suffer for all of eternity. You make the decision. But I hope that you will consider the words that I've said today. I hope you'll be honest. Be honest with yourself. Forget the traditions, forget the pastors' teachings, forget the systematic theologies that you've learned and all the books that you've read. Just look at what the Bible says. Be honest with it, study it out, and you'll see what it teaches. Because the preacher of rapture ain't there. It's not there. Okay? And why do we talk about this? Because you need to be prepared. And some people say, oh, you, you know, ha, if you believe in post-trib, then all you're going to be doing is packing food and preparing for all that stuff, physical stuff. That's not true at all. And second of all, you if you don't do that, then you're pretty dumb. Um, if you don't have any emergency preparations... What it, let's say you do believe in the preacher rapture. So does your theology not include that some bad things could happen before a preacher rapture could happen? Like there, let's say an economic collapse or some other calamity where you need some emergency food and water and other things like that? Yeah, absolutely you should have that. Do I believe that you, you should have seven years worth of supplies to survive the tribulation? No, that's ridiculous because it's not going to happen. You, need, you would need so much money 
trust me, I've been studying that stuff for a while, all that prepping stuff. You would need to have invest so many thousands of dollars to have that many supplies and food and, and water and, and all these other things for seven years, or whatever you believe, three and a half even. It'd be ridiculous. You can't do that. You need to have faith. That's all that's going to get us through in the end is faith. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. See all the great things they did through faith. All right. And that's where we're going to end it. Thanks for watching. God bless you. And I'll see you in the next video.